If you got your Bible and you want to follow along, we will begin today in Genesis chapter 12. Um, as I've mentioned several times now, Genesis is broken up really into two sections. 1 through 11 is, the, is really the first section. It's a section of origins. And, uh, and then the second section is really the, the history of, of Israel is really what it's about. And we begin today uh, with that in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Uh, before we get to this, a couple things I want to bring out. How many of you would agree that we live in an age of, of just rampant selfism? Um, I've heard of somebody call this the selfie generation, and that's it, it's really what it is. This is a generation, uh, and not just young people, but even older people, that it's all about me. Look at me. Um, I'm somehow special, and I deserve everything I can get. Now, that would be... That would be fine if it stayed out in the world, but it doesn't. Over the years, it's actually creeped into the church, and, 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 and you see it all over the place. We see uh, Christian books and songs propagate this idea of, of, of selfism in the body. Um, churches sometimes are designed to meet the needs of the selfie generation. Um, you know, one of the best examples of this is Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. This is not my best life. My best life is to come. This is as bad as it... If you're a, if you're a Christian, this is as bad as it'll ever get. Because on the other side, it's going to be awesome. You understand that? This is as bad as... This isn't your best life. This, this should be your worst life. In fact, Paul Washer wrote a book called Your Worst Life Now. And at the top it says, it's on the New York Times worst-selling list. Zero copies sold. Uh, seven steps to losing your full potential. This is supposed to about. This is supposed to about be about dying to self. Jesus said, "If you want to find your life, lose it." Right. So, but that's what's in the church today. It's all about you living your best life. You reaching your potential. You're you're finding your identity. It's not about losing our life. It's so. So this thing has, has crept into the church, and and what's happened today is many churchgoers. Uh, view their faith as a means to their happiness, right? In fact, I would even say that the ultimate test of truth for many people today who claim to be Christians is, does it make me happy? I've seen this with my own eyes. You have. I've seen somebody, you can point out to them, what you're about to do is, is, is exactly the opposite of what the Bible tells you to do. And they'll say, oh, but I got peace about it. Yes? No? Oh, I feel good about it. What's that got to do with anything? Right? I mean, that's, this is what's happening in the church today and in many places. Now, you may ask, well, why are you bringing all this up? We're fixing to talk about Genesis chapter 12. What's this got to do with anything? Well, here's the thing. I think a healthy antidote to that type of idea of faith is to study the life of Abraham. If you really want to know uh, uh, what faith is all about, if you really want to know what the life of faith really looks like, study the life of Abraham. We're, we're about to enter 14 chapters that's going to really be about one man. I said it a few weeks ago, right? You, we've covered up to chapter 11, you've covered 2,000 years of history. You'll get to chapters 12 through 26 and it stops and it covers 175. There's something important about this man. There's something that the Bible made sure that it was written down that we see. And for us individually, I think it's just an awesome study of the life of faith. In fact, I want to kind of 
give you a little bit of my thinking. I was really, really, when I started this uh, uh, study of Genesis, I was really excited about chapters 1 through 11 because it was all about the, you know, the origins of the universe and Noah's Ark and all of this stuff. I was, man, this is going to be awesome. But I didn't know what was going to happen when I got to chapter 12. I thought, boy, this is going to really get boring in a hurry, right? But I'm going to tell you, over the past couple of weeks, as I've been looking ahead and studying the life of Abraham, I've gotten reinvigorated, re-excited about, about Genesis. Because, listen, think about chapters 1 through 11. We are introduced to men of faith. We're introduced to Seth. We're introduced to uh, Enoch, who walked with God. We're introduced with Noah. But the Bible really tells us hardly anything about them. In fact, you remember Noah didn't even say a word until he cursed his grandson. Remember that? So we really don't know anything really. You know, we're introduced to Noah when he's 500 years old. Well, what happened to him before that? What made him into the man of faith that he was? We're never told. But as you get to chapter 12, it's almost like God just stops and pulls back the curtain and it shows you all about this man. Look at this man. Watch. And we can actually just follow his life and it's, and it's, as I said, it is a great antidote to some of the errors that have crept into the church today about the walk of faith. So as we get into these next few chapters, we're, this is what it's all going to be about, looking at Abraham as an example of, of the walk of faith. And in doing this, we're going to learn a lot of really, I think, interesting and valuable lessons that we can apply to ourselves. So let's turn there, Genesis 12. 1 through 3, and let's read our verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, let's throw our map up here. Uh, you remember that uh, Abram, uh, at that time, Abram, God eventually will change his name to Abraham. He lives down in a city called the Ur of the Chaldeans. And I'm going to be preaching this morning, and, and I'm going to be talking about this a little bit more, so I won't go into a lot of detail. But they go up the Euphrates River, and they go up, and they're at a place called Haran. You remember that? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, before they come down the coast into the land of, of Canaan. So as chapter 12 opens, Abram is in Haran. He hasn't made it down to the land of Canaan yet. So as you read those three verses, you would almost think, well, he's in Haran, and God is, is, is giving him this message, get out of here and go. But we know that's not so. You remember a couple weeks ago, we read from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, 2 through 4. This is uh, Stephen preaching. By the way, he's preaching, and at the end of this message, they'll kill him. You remember that? Go to Acts chapter 7. He's going to preach this message, and at the end, they'll pick up stones, and they'll kill him dead because of some of the things that he says. This is one of the things he said. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So this message from God actually came to him when he was still down in Ur of the Chaldeans, still down in Mesopotamia, before they had left to go to Haran. So a better rendering of this verse would really be, now the Lord had said to Abraham. In fact, that's how the NIV and the King James Version actually, uh, actually uh, translate this. Now, in one sense, the command of God to Abraham is very, very specific. 
leave this land, leave your family, leave your, your country, leave your relatives, leave all this stuff behind. So that's very specific in what he's supposed to do. See, God is going to make a new nation. He doesn't want to bring along any of the religion, any of the culture, any of the philosophy. He doesn't want Abraham to be held back by any of that stuff. He's going to be doing something new. He's going to be creating a new nation. He doesn't want to uh, revise an old one. That, that's, he, that's not what he wants to do. He wants to create something new. So he wants him to leave all that and, and go out into a land that he will show you. So he t- he's very specific about what he wants Abraham to leave, but he's very vague, very vague, in fact, deliberately vague about where he's going. In fact, he, the writer of Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 11 says this, he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, that's faith, folks, and we're going to talk about that. In fact, the, the more we look at Abraham, you're going to see why he's such an example of what real faith really is, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, before I move on, I want to point something out, and that is the contrast between Abraham's call and the Tower of Babel. Okay, now, we, we studied the Tower of Babel a few weeks ago. You remember that when Noah lands the ark, when the ark lands on, in the mountains of Ararat, Noah and his sons get out, God gives them a command. And he says, go, populate, and fill the earth. Everybody remember that? Okay. But at Babel, men said, ah, we don't really want to, we don't really want to do that. God wants us to disperse. He wants us to go in, out into the unknown. We're not really comfortable doing that. In fact, Genesis 11, 4 they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be what? Dispersed. We don't want to go out there. We don't know what's out there in the unknown. Everybody with me? Let's just stay right here with what we know. Let's build a city. Let's build a tower. Let's make a name for ourselves right here um, in the valley of Shinar. We don't really want to go out there. So what God told them to do, leave all, they didn't want to do that. And so they rebelled against him. So what they were doing, instead of trusting God for their security, they said, let's build a city. Let's put up some walls. Let's secure ourselves. Are you with me? Instead of trusting God, they said, let's make a name for ourselves so people will be scared of us. They won't come against us. Right? So they're trying to do it all within themselves. The command of God to Abraham is the exact reversal of that. You see, Abraham is sitting in a city already, isn't he? The city of Ur. It's a, it's a, it's a very uh, civilized city. It's a very stable city. It's a very safe city. And God says, go. Get out of the city and go out into the unknown. Right? Which is exactly what he had told those, those people to do originally and they wouldn't do. God promises Abraham, I'll make of you what? A great name. Which is exactly what the people at the Tower of Babel were looking for. But he tells Abraham, your great name is going to come as a result of trusting me, not trusting yourself. You see, the fact is, if we'll just follow God, he, all these things that we need and want, love, contentment, security, he wants to give us those things, but he wants us to find it in him, not in ourself. And so that's, this is the offer to Abraham. Abraham, all those things you want, security and a name for yourself, and all those, you want to make a difference, follow me. Follow me, and I'll, I'll, I'll make those things, but you're going to do it in me, not in your own self. So let's look at God's call. So this is the call that comes to Abraham. Verse 1, let's read it again. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, 
I said this a couple weeks ago. Salvation is always, always, always from the Lord and not from mankind. See, it is, it is, Abraham is an idolater. He's a pagan. He's living in a pagan city. He was born to a pagan family. He's, he's probably sitting there, got little God sitting on his dresser in his bedroom. And, and into, this, into this situation, God appears to him and calls him out, calls him out to a completely new way of life. Listen, the same is it true for you and I. Every one of us, before we're saved, we were rebels, we're sinners, we're, we're idolaters, we're haters of God. That's what the Bible called us. And see, the only thing that makes us different from our neighbor or our co-worker or our family member is God's call. That's it. God called us out of that, out of that muck and mire and dirt and filth, and he called us to a new way of life, just as he did with, with Abraham. Now, I want to say three things about the call this morning. Number one, it is a call of authority. And I want you to listen to me very careful here because this is something you don't normally hear about the call. It is a call of authority. God is a sovereign God who calls men to himself with, with authority. It's not a suggestion. It's not a proposal. It's not an option. It's not a recommendation. It is a command. Okay? God's call to Abraham. He says, Abraham... Get up, leave this city, leave this country, leave your kindred, and go. That is a command. It's not an option. It's not a negotiation. He doesn't say, hey, Abraham, you know, man, listen, let me, let me look, look at where you are today. Now, let me give you these options. No, that's not what it is at all. In fact, it, it, Abraham would have been in disobedience to God if he wouldn't have got up and, and went because it is a call of authority. The same is true for all men. In Mark 1.15, Jesus appears on the scene and he says this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is not a suggestion. That is the call of a sovereign king to rebellious subjects to kneel to his authority. Do you understand that? It's not a, it's not a nice option. He's saying repent and believe. And if you do not do that, you are in disobedience. So many times I'm afraid that we implore people to make a decision for Christ as if somehow it's a better option than what they're doing today. It's not a better option. It is a command of authority from a sovereign king. And if we do not adhere to that command, if we do not obey that command, the fact is that one day that sovereign king is going to return to this earth and he's going to reward those who obeyed, and he's going to punish those who did not obey. It's not an option. It's not a recommendation. It's not a proposal. It is a call of authority from a sovereign king. Number two, it is a call that requires difficulty. We need to remember when God calls Abraham, I'm, I'm again, we're going to spend a, several weeks now on Abraham, and I want you to, we're going to hopefully understand him better than we ever have before. He's in a very comfortable city. Again, we'll talk about this in our sermon a little bit more today. Very stable city, prosperous city. He's got his family. Evidently, he had very close ties to his, to his family. Everything is, is here. His life is here. And God says, get up and go to a place that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. I mean, it, it, had, it had to be hard to leave. It wasn't easy. I mean, just think about it. He's got an unknown destination. He's got a place maybe he's heard about it. He knows what's going on there, but he really has no clue what's in store for him out there. 
there's a, there's a hint of hostility. God says, I will curse those that curse you. In other words, there's gonna, you're going to run into people that curse you. That's coming. So there's a hint that you're going to run into hostility. The travel in that day is hard. By the way, uh, Ur to Haran is 1,400 miles. That's like walking from here to Denver. And he's not even done yet. He's still got to make a turn and go down into Canaan. So he's going to travel well over 2,000 miles before it's all said and done on foot or camels or wagons. Or it's, it, it's, he's not going to hop on the, on the train and go over there, right? The, the travel is hard. He's, he's being called to sever ties with his family, with his culture. Everything that he knows, he's being asked to sever ties with that and move on. It cannot be easy. Now, God may not ask you and I to literally leave our country or leave our families, but what he does ask us is to be holy. Does he not? And, and the word holy means be set apart. Set apart from the unbelievers. Set apart from, a, from, a, from the culture. And, and the fact is, the core of that separation is not outward, it's inward. Right? What has Paul said? You're, you're in the world, but you're not, what? Of the world. You're, you're here, you're walking around, you're going to the same place as everybody else is, but that's not who you are. You see, we have to break from our culture's sinful ways of thinking. We have to be biblical thinkers. We have to be biblical thinkers. When, 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 when greed comes up and, and looks us in the face, how do, we, how do we react to that? We react to that with what the Bible says about contentment and generosity. When, when the sensuality of the world comes up and just hits us in the face, how do we react to that? Well, we react to it by what the Bible says about purity and, and sexual relations. When, when the world comes up and it's all about you, it's all about have your pleasure, do what feels good to you, we react to that by what the Bible says about service and, and self-denial. You see, it's only when we think biblically about life that we can be a holy people, a set-apart people. Now listen, sometimes a person may make a break with family or may be called to make a break with family. Jesus told us that. You have to put... Jesus said it. We're going to talk about this this morning too in the sermon. You have to put me first. You have to put me first. That's an odd... I remember this, let me read this, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. That is really hard for us to understand because we're, not, never, we're hardly ever asked to make that choice in America. We can love God and love our mama. But let me tell you, there are people all over this world that are being asked to make a choice because if they choose Jesus, mama ain't going to talk to them no more. If they choose Jesus, their brother will never speak to them again. If they choose Jesus, they'll be shunned. There are people that understand that, that scripture. They, like, they get it. We don't get it because we're not called to make that choice. They understand it. Jesus said, if you've got to choose between mom and me, you better choose me. That's all he's, that's all he's, he's saying there. If we have to choose between those closest to us and following Christ choose Christ. Well, that's exactly what Abraham did. That's exactly the choice. Leave your kindred. Leave your everything you know and come follow me. Jesus walks up to Matthew one day at a tax collector's place and he says two words, follow me. That's all he said. 
And in those words, walk away from your family, walk away from your job, walk away from your security, walk away from everything you know and just come follow me. And Matthew gets up and walks. You talk about faith. That is absolute faith. And of course, that's exactly what this call is to us and to Abraham and to all these men. It's a call that requires faith. Let me tell you, we can read that statement right there and go home. The faith to which we are called is faith in a person, not a plan. Let me say that again. The faith to which you and I are called is faith in a person, not in a plan. He doesn't tell Abraham anything. I mean, think about that. Abraham has no idea where he's going. But what's important is not where he's going, but who he's going to trust. I mean, I just I, I keep visualizing, uh, you know, he just says, follow me. And Abraham believed God. I'll follow you. You know, I keep thinking, you know, yesterday my granddaughter was over at my house and we were messing around doing some different stuff. And I can, you know, she just takes my hand and goes wherever I take her. Because as long as she's got my hand, she'll, she'll, follow, I mean, she'll follow me wherever I go. What's the difference? That's what God is saying. Follow me. Put your hand in my hand and let's go. You don't need to know where we're going. You don't need to know what tomorrow holds. God's never going to tell you that anyway. That's not what faith is. If he told you what's coming, it wouldn't be faith, would it? Faith in a person, not a plan. It's a, the, the journey of faith is a journey of godliness, not a journey of geography. It's about going from one glory to another, changing into Jesus from one aspect to another. That's the journey of faith. It's not about going here or going there or going over there. And we have to remember that. Because with God's call always comes His promises. So what, what really faith in God is really believing what He said, believing His promises. Listen to what He says to, Ab- uh, to Abraham, verses 2 through 3. And I want you to notice that I will do it. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will do these things, Abraham. See, it's all about, do you trust me? I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to give you the details. I'm not going to show you every little stone that you're going to step on. But do you trust me as a person? And Abraham said, absolutely, I do. By the way, looking back some 4,000 years later, it's easy to see now that all those promises that he made to Abraham uh, were fulfilled. He promised, he says, I'll make you into a great nation. By the way, today there are 15 million uh, Jews in the world. That's just something uh, I, I read out on the Internet. I just how many Jews? 15 million. Just today, all descendants of Abraham. He says to him, I'll make your name great. Listen, Christianity reveres Abraham. Jews revere Abraham. Muslims revere. There's not a more famous man in the world than Abraham. I mean, even today, you ask anybody who is Abraham, and people know who he was. That was 4,000 years ago. And he says to him, I promise you that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What a promise. You talk about, we say, well, I want to change my family, or I want to change my county, or I want to change oh, my state, maybe. And he says, I want to change every family, not just that lives today, every family of every generation that's going to come will be affected by you. Can you, can you imagine a greater promise that's given to a man? Of course, that is fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Galatians 3.8 says to Paul, or Paul says in Galatians 3.8, in the Scriptures... 
For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations of the earth. Paul says that's the gospel. It was being preached to Abraham 4,000 years ago. I'm going I'm to bring a man, Jesus Christ, is going to come to this earth. He's going to die for your sins, rise again, and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through that, through you, Abraham. That's going to be one of your descendants. And Paul says that, that the gospel was being preached. You see, when God calls us to do something, he always gives us far, far, far more than he requires from us. Does he, he requires Abraham to leave all that he knows? Sure he does. But then he just comes and says, I'm going to do this, and 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 just gives him these incredible promises. Listen, the same is true for you and I. Mark 10, 29 to 30, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left father or mother or houses or lands, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Listen, if nothing else, this is what we need to remember. God will give us many blessings in this life, but the fact is the real blessing that he gives us is eternity. In this age of selfism, in this age of me, 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 that's one incredibly important lesson that we should take away from the life of Abraham. Listen, in Abraham's life, the land that was promised to him never belonged to him. In fact, when Sarah, his wife, dies, he has to go buy a piece of it to bury her. We'll see that in Genesis 23. Has to buy. God has promised me this land, and you mean I got to go buy this little parcel to bury my wife? See, he never owned that land. He never took possession of that land. In fact, it'll be centuries later when these same Israelites who are reading Genesis for the first time are led by Joshua into the promised land to take possession of it. Can you imagine that, by the way? They stand up and read Genesis to you, the, the land that was promised to you, by, to your father Abraham, by God, you're about to go get it. You're the ones. I mean, I can't imagine the feeling to know that I, we are the ones who are going in to fulfill that promise. The fact is, Abraham died without seeing most of those promises fulfilled. But he believed anyway. He believed that even if it's happening now, even after I'm dead, God will still fulfill. That, folks, is faith. Faith in a person, not a plan. And that's why we need to look at him. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 says this about Abraham. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Even when he got to the promised land, it says he didn't see that. It, he, he just saw it as a foreign land. Everybody with me? Even when he got to that land, he didn't say, boy, this is mine. No, he said, that's mine. I'm just, I'm just passing through this. This is just temporary. But he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. In fact, I would say this. If you're, if you're living your life today for just this life, if it's all about the here and now, you really don't need to become a Christian. Don't even worry about becoming a Christian because this life is not what being a Christian is all about. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if we have hoped in this life only in Christ, we are to be pitied. We are to be pitied. 
In fact, he goes on to say, if this life is all you got, eat, go eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you're going to die. It's over. It's not about this life. It's about the life to come. And we have to keep that in mind. And that's what Abraham did. And that's how he is an example to us of the life of faith. Our hope as Christians is not just to be blessed in this life, but to be eternally blessed in the life to come. That is our great privilege, but it is also our great responsibility. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. He says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that, for the purpose of, in order that. Why am I going to make your name great, Abraham? Why am I going to make you a great nation? So that you will be a blessing. So that then you will turn around and be a blessing to others. In fact, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God has called you and I, and I th I'm pretty sure I can say this as a statement of fact, He is giving each one of us in this place this morning great blessings here in this life. But if we bottle them up and keep them to ourselves, we just fall right back into the trap of selfism that the world is walking in. It's not what it's about. It's about service. It's about helping others. It's about... It's not about selfism. See, you can be a Christian and you can have all these blessings. You can just wrap your arms around them and say, well, I ain't, nobody's getting into my space. Right, this is for me. Well, that's just, what, that's selfism. That's selfishness. That's not what this life is supposed to be about. So where is our heart? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is our heart evangelism and missions? What, what are we doing with our money? Are we spending our money all on ourselves or are we giving it for the kingdom? Are we burdened for the lost? Are we, are we giving to spread the word? I mean, there's, there's so many questions we could ask ourselves as a test of where our heart really is. Are we passing through this life as, as a foreigner in a foreign land? Or are we, and are we looking for a city that is to come? You see, if we can't answer in the affirmative for some of those questions then the fact is we may very well be caught up in the selfism uh, with the world. God calls us to be a blessing to others, and that should always be our focus. I want to I close this morning with five characteristics of the Christian life that we can glean from these first three verses. Five characteristics of the Christian life. Number one, the Christian life begins as a sovereign work of God. There's not a more beautiful story. There's not, this, that, this, this is not more beautifully illustrated anywhere else in the Bible than in the life of Abraham. I said it before. He's a pagan. He's an idolater. He's living in a strange land. And God just appears to him and says, I choose you. I choose you. Why did he choose Abraham? Just grace. It wasn't that Abraham was better than his father or better than his brothers or better than the next door neighbor. God just says, I choose, I choose you. See, in the end, it's the same for every single one of us. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That brings us to the second aspect of the Christian life. The Christian life is not only begins by a sovereign call of God, it continues by a sovereign work of God. We're going to get into Abraham's life here over the next few weeks, and you're going to find out when he starts out, he's pretty weak. He's not this giant man of faith. He's, he's pretty weak in some of the decisions 
that he makes. And God has to providentially kind of, no, get over here, Abraham, <laughs> dummy. <laughs> I told you, you know, no, over here, stand there. I mean, God has to like just oversee him almost to get him. But then you just see through his life, he starts to grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger till he comes to a point and God says, go sacrifice your son. He picks him up and says, and, and it's amazing when if you go back and read that, Abraham says, even if he dies, even if he dies, God can raise him from the dead. I mean, he just has so much faith in God that he will do exactly, because he knows he's a good God. He knows what kind of person he is, but he goes from this little toddler of faith to this mature man of faith. But if it had depended, his, his, his walk with God had depended on him, he'd have, never, he'd have never made it. Having called Abraham, God gets him to where he needs to go. And the same is true for you and I. Thank God, thank God, my spiritual life doesn't depend on my faithfulness because I would have been lost a long time ago. One of my favorite scriptures, I read this several weeks ago, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is keeping me. God has his arms around me. And he will not let me. He'll let me fall, but he will not let me fail. He'll let me fall, and I get back up. Paul says in Corinthians, we get knocked down, and we get back up again. But he will not let me fail. I am being kept by the power of God, same as Abraham. Number three, the Christian life is a pilgrimage. Hebrews 11, 9 through 10 said this about Abraham. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. 1 Peter 1, 17 since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. You, this is not your home. This is not your home. You, do you ever get a feeling, I don't belong here? You don't belong here. This is not your home. You are, just, you are in a strange land. That's what a pilgrim is, right? It's someone who's passing through they're not home. They're going through a foreign land. It's called a pilgrimage. Our whole life as Christians should be a pilgrimage. This is not where we belong. This is not our home. That's what the Christian life is, is all about. Number four, the Christian life is rooted and grounded in the promises of God. The Christian life is rooted and grounded in the promises of God. Think about this for one second. Abraham, God appears to him, says, leave everything you know, and go to a place that I'm going to show you. And Abraham has absolutely no proof of, of any of that. He has no proof that this God is going to do what he says he's going to do. He has no proof, nothing. No, all he had to rely upon was God. That's it. That's all he had. Now listen, in the end, that's all any of us have. Right? I mean, I, listen, I, I walk outside. <clears throat> I did that last night. I walk outside, <clears throat> look up in the sky. And every time I do that, to me, that's just proof of God, right? But to the guy next to me, it's proof of aliens. 
to the guy next to him, it's proof that we just came out of a big bang. At the end of the day, it's really not proof. It is to me, but to other people it's not. The fact is, at the end of the day, all we have is God's Word. It's all you have. God's Word. But let me tell you, isn't that more than enough? 1 John, there's a, there's a great scripture here. I want you to listen to this. We, we go by the scripture. We don't think about it too much. John says this. If we accept the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. How many of y'all have ever read that? If we accept the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Now, in this passage, John is pointing something out incredibly obvious. We put our faith in sinful men every single day. You, 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 you put your faith in the men that package your food, that they're not going to poison it. And you go to Winn-Dixie and you just buy it and you just assume everything's okay. You, you put your faith in the people that fix your car, that they didn't cut your brake line, and you're going to die on the way home. Yes or no? You, you, you go to the bank and just give them your money. Oh, here, take it. And you put your faith in those people that they're not going to steal it. All those people are sinners. They're all liars. If you can trust sinful people every single day with aspects of your life, how can you not trust the living God? That's what John is saying. You trust the, the word of sinful men, the word of the living God is so much greater. And see, that's all that we have, but in the end, it's all that we need. Number five, the Christian life is a walk of obedience. The Christian life is a walk of obedience. We're going to watch Abraham over the next few weeks, and he's going to go from place to place. He gets down to Canaan, and there's a big famine. Then he has to go to Egypt. I mean, it's just he's just moving all over the place. And, and if you just kind of get down into the details, it almost, it, it almost has to seem like a riddle. God, why are you going here? Why are you doing that? Why would you let this happen? You get me all the way here, and now there's a famine? Really? And now I've got to go to Egypt to find some food? What, what is going on here? You tell me... I'm going to make a great nation, and my wife can't have children. We've been trying for 20, 18 years. Now it's been 19 years. Now it's 21 years. Now it's 23 years. Now it's 24 years. What's going on? I mean, it, it, it almost has to seem like, what is going on? But again, it's, it's faith in a person, not a plan. And Abraham will eventually see that no stop on his, in his life was irrelevant or without purpose, that God had a plan for everything that he was doing. Listen, as we walk through this life, we cannot expect that God is going to throw up big signs in front of us and say, turn left. Just doesn't walk. Doesn't, anybody ever had? I mean, I, ain't, I don't get those signs. Maybe, you're, maybe you do, but I don't. I just don't get a, You don't see a lot of that. You see, faith does not develop living life by some kind of map. That's not what the Bible is. It's not a map. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith in what he says, not in what we can see. That's what faith is, is all about. I, I try to think of God's word sometimes, you know, as a compass, right? It, it's not, you don't, you're not going to open this book. You, 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 so you get offered a job or you, you am I going to marry this person or should I do this, should I do that? You don't open the Bible and it says, yes, do it. Right? That'd be cool if it did that. And I've heard people say, by the way, this is how incredibly ignorant some people. I've heard people say, well, I had a decision to make and I just opened the Bible and the first word was yes. Really? 
That's how you live your life? No, think of the Bible more as a compass. And what it does, it points you in the right direction. Right? It points you in the right direction. Did I lose my thing here? I did. I'm sorry. Um, there we go. Sorry about that. It points us in the right direction. Along the way, we just do what God tells us to do, and we, and we make sensible... You know, when God says... We'll see this in Abraham's life starting next week. God says, get up and go. And as far as we know, God doesn't say, go due west or go northeast along the trade routes. Stop in Nineveh. Don't stop in Nineveh. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, go. And, and so Abraham says, well, you know, I'm going over here. Here's the best way to get it would be go this way. Everybody with me? It's a compass. It points you in the right direction. It's not going to give you every single detail. But if you, if you stay in this word and you keep believing him and you've got a heart, a servant's heart, especially a heart that's submissive to him, let me tell you, he will lead you home. Because that's who he is. It's faith in a person, not some plan. Next week, we'll uh, pick up in verse 4 and go all the way through verse uh, 20, hopefully. uh, And we'll look at the beginning of Abraham's life of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we always do for your word. We thank you for Genesis. And and, uh, I know I'm excited about coming into these these next few chapters. and, And Father, I just pray that if any of us here have got some misconceptions about the life of faith, uh, God, I pray that over the next few weeks, that through the Holy Spirit, not through me, but through the Holy Spirit, that you'll make this Word alive to us, that you'll show us. Romans 15, 4 says, The things that were written in the Old Testament are written for our instruction. Help us learn, God, from the life of Abraham. Help us learn from his life of faith. And, 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 and get rid of this selfism. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you. It's about your son, Jesus Christ, and what he wants to accomplish in us and through us in this world. Father, we pray for our, our uh, message today. We pray for our service. We pray, God, that your name will be lifted up in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.
Hello. Hey, real quick, um, Chuck gave me some CDs. Uh, I don't know if somebody had been requesting some CDs of the class. So he made some CDs uh, up to like chapter 10 or 11. So I'm going to leave them up here. So if anybody wants them, you're welcome to come get them. It's lighter. I throw my hands up and then burn like fire. Float up to heaven like the smoke in the air. I flip my worries in the prayer, leave them right there. Just stay it down, it's not to fight. Don't worry, it'll be alright. Don't worry, it will make your happy life. Don't worry at all, worry at all. This love is always right on. Through God's eyes, if you can only see him through God's eyes, yeah. 